0: Gracious Father, we thank Thee that Thou has continued to provide for us, even beyond what we recognize, and we ask Thee now to bless Thy word as Thou has already blessed it this morning and blessed us with fellowship today. We ask Thee, Father, as we have praised Thee through song, that Thou would also bless us now with the word that Thou hast for us. Thou knowest all of our needs, Father, and so we ask Thee. Be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Lord's help I'd like to read from the uh, letter to Philippians chapter 4 beginning with verse 1 Philippians chapter 4 Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord alway, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace, shall be with you i have read through verse nine The verses that we have before us in particular beginning with verse six the expression used in the king james be careful for nothing which means which we would translate to simply mean do not worry is a question that or a command that perhaps all of us to some degree find it difficult to fully implement and apply in our lives when it's written here literally it means that there is nothing for which we should consume nervous energy or anxious energy worrying about its outcome or its impact and though we are familiar with this verse and I believe that I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit inspired Brother Paul in his letter to the Philippians to put this down because it becomes more and more relevant in our times. It was relevant in their time when the church was growing, mushrooming, if you will, and experiencing all kinds of changes that... Perhaps, maybe, Apostle Paul foresaw how the church would be splintered into eventual sects and, as we now know them, denominations. And how that at once, when the letters that were written are written with the context of a single church, a single entity, a single brotherhood, that maybe Apostle Paul could see that one day that would not be the case in the sense that there would be, as an illustration, many branches on this big tree, and we would find ourselves in one of these branches. And within this branch that we're placed in, call it a denominational branch a branch that defines who we are gives us identity it gives us a sense of belonging a belonging to a group of people that share a common belief even though there are multiple branches in this figurative tree of christianity yet not all the branches share the same beliefs. They may have some core beliefs shared but their interpretation of how we apply those core beliefs in our lives vary and are different. And I don't know, I I only presume that perhaps because Apostle Paul had those many visions that God gave him the ability to see that one day, one day it will be much more complicated, and that every group of believers would have to take what was understood to be then universal Christianity, and that's where Catholicism comes from. Catholicism means universal church time there was only one church all the letters all the references to brothers and sisters were understood to be one in reference to one church that you would visit throughout Asia Minor or throughout Europe or throughout the Roman Empire of the time there was one church today we have many churches We have many churches. And we are fortunate within our denomination that we can can define and relate to the scriptures with respect to this concept of brotherhood. Today, we are still able to... experience the scriptures as if they're speaking to our denomination because we still today share this bond across country barriers across uh, national uh, lines we are not divided by geographical borders in this world We are are connected through a common belief in our denomination. And today, still, because of the efforts of some, historically, who have persevered to maintain the sense of identity, we can read these letters and we can Appropriate the concept of brotherhood to ourselves and to our denomination because we can just drive down the street today to Strasbourg and sing in an area, sing with brothers and sisters whom we believe have believed like we have. So but as the world changes as there is a greater influx and outflux of movement of people the concept of a brotherhood will be challenged and the is challenged and the idea that the branches in this tree should remain distinct is challenged. And there will come a time, and maybe already is, where anxiety may come about because of the question of what is our identity as Christians? What is our identity? Our forefathers labored hard to keep the identity we have. We we still believe that it is an honor to have an Anabaptist heritage. And yet, the newer generation may not appreciate what that heritage holds. As far as our interpretation of the application of the scriptures with respect to holy living so i feel that the words that we have here be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto god speak of the need that in any circumstance we face but particularly the circumstance that can shake our beliefs and shake our perceptions of what we thought we believed where we begin to be shaken at the core because of change change is happening change continues to happen and Older people, which is a natural thing, don't want change. And, and, and I'm not using that as an example of um, a, a negative way. I'm just saying that change can bring anxiety. The change can bring anxiety. And, we, and, and the church has to continue to evolve, to adapt to the changes in, in the world and in our society. But those changes are only in in the way that allow us to be effective in the communication of the gospel it's when the change brings about potential to change what we've we have hold and cherished as dear those foundational truths such as the fact that we are given choice to believe choice to believe And choose when the invitation, the call of God comes to us. It's not imposed by God. We are not overcome by God's force and made to choose. God, we hold dear to that, to to the belief that that God calls whomsoever, he calls all men and he desires all man to choose salvation and he gives us the gift of choice when that idea which is grounded in the scripture begins to be fundamentally changed and it is packaged in a way that suggests that no in fact God chooses those that will believe and you really have no choice in it. It's a matter of when God activates and initiates that plan in your life specifically. And one may say, well, one may not be aware of those differences. But then we fast forward to the end to the end of time as we know it. And perhaps in this slice of time when we compare all the branches on this Christian tree, there does not appear to be a difference on a on macro level when you compare beliefs about, you know, that we all are on this branch, all this tree, all these different Christian branches, and they're all striving for sanctification they're all striving for holiness and in a slice of time they're all speaking the same language they're all quoting the, the same verses maybe different translations but ultimately they're using the same verses to to describe the struggle of a christian to live a holy life in that slice of time across all these branches we may say that there's no apparent difference and therefore small or differences that we may have overlooked in the beginning of what initiates someone's belief in a particular tree branch may may be overlooked and considered insignificant but if we fast forward to the end of time and the Bible tells us that in the end of time there's going to be great conflict there's going to be great persecution and the Bible says that they that use the sword will perish by the sword jesus said it in the book of revelations and it's pretty emphatic it's clear and we have believed based on our heritage which we're thankful for that that heritage has preserved the concept that christians are not to take up the sword and that even in the name of patriotism though we are are loyal to our government in as much as it doesn't uh contravene the gospel and and the bible we are willing to serve our nation Yet, we are not willing to defend our nation by killing the nation's enemy. We are not willing to take up the arm, the weapon, and to do that. And so while at this slice of time, things may all look the same, when we fast forward to the end of time, all of a sudden, it matters. It actually matters what branch you're on. Because some of the branches may actually believe that now is the time to defend your nation. Now is the, is, is the time to be patriotic and resist evil by violence, by taking up a weapon. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a situation with a group of people that believe what Jesus and what the scripture clearly points to be not true. So it does matter. It actually matters what branch you're on. It does matter. And as time changes, there will be greater temptation, greater uh, influence, greater intimidation for some branches to deny their identity, to give up that which was precious to them. And the Bible makes it clear, and Apostle Paul made it very clear that in the end, there will be a lot of false teachings, a lot of false doctrines. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come and the word perilous means it presents a danger to your life and you can simply add the word spiritual life that's how perilous it's going to be and it's going to be perilous because man shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high minded lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. This implies that that whole list that describes the type of people in, that will be present in the end days will be present in, in, in a place that Christians will be found where we are told, turn away. Turn away. So, this morning we, we were reminded... That if we had the opportunity to, to, to have a glimpse, even as Apostle Paul had in his many revelations, how would it change us? How would our, our concept and our belief about the very nearness of God how would that experience change our, our desire to all of a sudden now be real in our application of the scripture and in our holy living and in, in our seal, in our recognition that actually God is real and that he's, and his son is coming soon and that God is going to go be glorified, be glorified in, in his judgment of man as sinners. So, if we had that opportunity, it certainly would change us. But, the scripture is telling us here that if we knew what was coming, we would also get ready. You know, Jesus said, if, if, if the man knew that his house would be broken into, he would have not let it happen. He would have watched. And if we know, if we only could see ourselves down the road in perilous times, And what kind of compromise we would make in those situations. If we had a glimpse of the future, of where, how we would act under those circumstances. Would that change us today? Would we make changes in our lives? Would we take inventory of our our walk with God? And would we make changes? If we could see what's coming and how we are going to react to those situations. The mind and the heart are going to be the target of attack. And Apostle Paul, through the wisdom of God, says that don't worry. Now, now, he didn't say, don't worry, be happy. That's not what he said here. There's a reason he qualifies why we ought not to worry. He says, be careful for nothing or do not worry, but in everything, in every single instance, even in your life right now, because this is the time to practice it, to put it into into use and to exercise that, to cultivate the habit of doing precisely what these verses are saying. That in every situation in your life where you are being potentially challenged to be anxious, to to be overly concerned, such that it starts to impact you physiologically. He says, in everything, by prayer and by supplication, which means a specific request, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. With thanksgiving, meaning that as soon as, and this is the hard part, and I confess brothers and sisters, as I contemplated these verses, how I often, in this particular case, often certainly fall and fail miserably. The the moment the scripture is saying here, this is God the therapist, if you will, God the best cognitive behavioral therapist. He is saying that the moment you feel anxious, Turn this attitude in your mind towards thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. If you recognize that we're feeling anxious about a a situation in our lives, immediately turn towards thanksgiving. Start counting your blessings like we said in Sunday school. Start looking at all the positive things that God has done in your life. Force yourself to count them. Then, once you've counted them, and once you've started to settle into this concept of being thankful to God, then approach Him in prayer and supplication. If and only if you do that. If and only if you do that. If and only if we apply what verse 6 says. It says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, or what you may, we may do, we may simply interpret that to mean it defies all logic. It goes beyond our our human understanding and reasoning. It defies all logic that under a very extreme situation, we can somehow switch to a mindset of thanksgiving and that thanksgiving, as initiating the prayer and supplication, can somehow usher in the peace of God. And that peace of God will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But it doesn't end there. That's not where it ends. That's the promise. And for those of you that study math, IFF, if and only if, verse 6 is done, verse 7 is guaranteed. Guaranteed. But then he goes on. He says, finally, brethren, finally, brothers and sisters, whatsoever things are true. He lists all the things that you have to think on. He's, you, you, you and I may be consumed with a thought or an event or a situation in our lives which causes us to become anxious, which generates and, and, and produces a physiological reaction in us. Some of us may break out in hives. Some of us may, be, may have anxiety attacks. Some of us can't sleep. Some of us may, may actually shake. Some of us may feel panic. And he's saying, you think this way, switch to Thanksgiving. Just switch to Thanksgiving and, and see what that does switch to thanksgiving and once you've settled into a thought pattern of thanksgiving then come to me with prayer general prayer thanking him praising him acknowledging him for who he is and then move into the specific and let it let it go bring it bring all your requests to him make them all known that's what supplication is after you've done the general prayer you now make all your requests known to him. All your requests. And once you've done that, you leave them there. You leave the requests there, and you displace everything that was in your mind with all these things. And he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, in the face of what may seem to cause us to worry. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, brothers and sisters, how many of us do this? How many of us actually apply this call it an algorithm how many of us apply this this is the series of sequences and steps that bring the peace of god and keep your heart in mind and then verse 9 think on these things you and i have a responsibility It doesn't happen by osmosis and it doesn't happen by an irresistible grace. The the operative term here is think. You and I have to think. We have to make an effort to think on these things. And then it says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now, we think and we do. If and only if we think and we do, the, the God of peace or the peace of God shall be with us and shall keep our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean Paul, Paul's inspired writings here from the holy spirit were only applicable for his time he couldn't possibly have seen the electronic age and the information age that we live in now that causes a lot of anxiety we know too much we see too much we hear too much we're bombarded with just too much knowledge and it gets tougher and tougher is it possible that this set of verses are not really applicable today? That they don't help the young as well as the old? We don't think so. I think we all know the answer to that question. These verses are. So, if my peace is missing, if my heart is anxious. If I faint, like it says in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, for consider him that endured such contradiction or opposition, hostile opposition of sinners against himself. We're talking about Jesus. This is Hebrews 12, verse 3 Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. My mind is going to faint. And faint there means that that it becomes weak that I start to lose hope. I start to lose hope. I become anxious. I start to lose hope. I don't believe him anymore. I don't believe his promises anymore. The devil knows precisely what to attack and the most sensitive areas for us is going to be our hearts and our minds and yet we have we have a set of instructions that promise us that if and only if we do and think we will have the peace of God and it will keep our hearts and mind through christ jesus amen read a few verses from the letter to the hebrews this is in chapter 4 verse 14 seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's an expression that that is used today. I don't know whether it's a modern expression, but... You, sometimes you hear someone say, you know, that person was there for me. Or I have a close friend that is, that is always there for me when I need them, when I need to unload, when I need to share my feelings. Some of the things that are, some of the emotions that are experienced in our time today is loneliness. Even though we may be living in a crowded home, if we are unable to share how we feel, if the way we actually feel we are unable to share it with those that are in in the same roof we we may feel actually quite alone. And loneliness and being alone is a common common struggle today, even though our population is just tremendous. And there is a need. People that are alone have a need. We all have needs and sometimes to greater or lesser degree it would be nice to have someone there that we can come to and just unload, share what we're actually feeling, ex- express our loneliness or our, our fears, our anxieties. But to, to place that expectation on a human being is risky because they're not always going to be there for us and they're fallible. And, and that's really not where we should be placing our real trust. Jesus is the most qualified person to be there for you. He is the one, as it said there, that wants you and me to come boldly to him. Because he understands us. He is the most qualified And he will never fail us. He he is infallible. And in fact, he's at the right hand of God right now, interceding, waiting for us to come to him, to treat him as the one that is there for us. No one else could fulfill that. And in fact, if we were to cultivate the act of going to Christ as the one who should be there for us, we begin to cultivate that experience and we we experience him as if he was a physical person there in that same room giving us immediate feedback when we unload our our feelings, our fears, our anxieties, our uncertainties about life, our own feelings about our own weaknesses. If we experience going to Christ on our knees as was prayed, if we cultivate that experience that connection with God as Apostle Paul said in prayer and supplication let your requests be made known to Him we are going to discover that He is very much there for us and that He is very close to us and that and our eyes will be opened to the reality of God I hope and pray that we would strive for that, to cultivate making Christ the one that is there for us. Amen. This concludes our service.